Thanks for joining me for another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. In this episode, the country is Libya. Now, most Australians would probably know Libya through the news and will have heard of the regime under Colonel Gaddafi and the civil war that led to his downfall. But fewer would be aware of Libya's history before that and the Italian colonial era and its legacy. In this episode, I'm talking to Piera, who was born in Libya and spent her childhood there. But her family, who had lived two generations in Libya, were of Maltese and Italian heritage. With hostility towards Libyans of European origin growing after the Second World War, her parents decided to make the big boat trip to Australia in 1961. After a whole series of life events, Piera ended up in northwest Tasmania and now lives in Devonport. So please join me to hear more about her fascinating story. I was born in Libya, three generations. My parents were, my mother was Maltese, my father was Italian. The Italians invaded Libya in 1911. So the Arabs Arabs didn't like us very much. So there was always tension. And so my father applied to come to Australia. What what did your parents do in Libya? My father was a mechanic and my mother was a stay-at-home mum. And uh, what what are your memories of that time? I guess you were just a child, weren't you? I was only nine years old when I left. But I can remember the tension between the Arabs and the, and the Italians. For example, they would do this, the sign of the cross, and spit. I remember right. that. And just generally the, the tension. So did that, was that, because I guess you would have gone to school in, in Libya, was it like mixed at school or with schools? No, no, we went to a Catholic school. Because it was an Arabic country, it was compulsory to learn how to read and write Arabic. Okay. But I don't, I don't remember any of that. Just a few swear words. <laughs> how I picked those up, seeing my parents were so straight and very Catholic. <laughs> and I can, I can recall being very excited at the thought of coming to Australia, not knowing anything at all about Australia. And why did you... Do you know why your parents chose Australia? Because his brother... And his sister had already migrated to Melbourne. So before we came, my father had to be secured a job and somewhere to live. And, and so he was able to... He lived with relatives when you first yeah, came? Yeah, we stayed with my auntie for three months. Then we moved in with my grandmother for about a year and then we bought a house in, in Melbourne. Okay. In a place called Williamstown, which is a oh, very yeah. charming place. And back then it was very working class, quite a few migrants. It wasn't the trendy place that it is now. We, we weren't in Pam Palm, so we had to pay a full fare. Because back then, I think the policy was quite racist. If you were fair with blue eyes, you got to come for £10. If you were darker like myself, you had to pay the whole lot. My father was Italian, but he was actually quite fair. Yeah, well, the the white Australia policy wasn't fully dismantled until I think the early 70s. Mm. They gradually got rid of it, but... You would what? What period did you come in? We came in nineteen sixty-one. And I guess you would have. That would have been by boat at that time. 
Yeah, we were boat people. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually, strictly speaking, I'm a refugee because I can't go back to Libya because of the way the situation is. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I guess a lot of things have changed in the country since that time. Was it was it a kingdom back then or something? Back, back then there was King Idris, I think. Because they had a revolution in the 70s. Gaddafi took over in 1969. Okay. And there were quite a few Italians there back then, including my elder sister. And um, they were given just a few days to leave. And once you left, you... That was it. Yeah, you couldn't come back. Yeah. You lost lost any citizenship or anything like that? I don't don't know, but we weren't allowed to go back. Yeah. And you wouldn't want to because it wasn't safe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you remember much about, I mean, I know a little bit about the, the boat trips back in those days would have been quite long. 31 days. Yeah. Loved it. It was very exciting. And arriving in Melbourne was a, like a magic dream. It was so beautiful yeah. compared to what we were used to. And it wasn't until I went to school, St Mary's Primary School in Williamstown, that I realised that there was such a thing called racism. <laughs> yeah. I said to my uncle, somebody call me a dago. What does that mean? Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> so how, how, how did that manifest itself? Was it just in cold names or were there other ways they made you feel different? Oh, I sat next to a boy. I can remember he had huge back teeth. Robert Grimer at school and he used to pick his nose and flick them at on my legs. <laughs> So I was a really very anxious child mm-hmm. until I went to high school and then I rebelled. In, in what way did you rebel? I would stand up to the nuns. Mm-hmm. I kept on rebelling. I went to secondary Catholic school, St. Joseph's Ladies College. And at the end of year nine, they told me not to come back. All right. Why not? <laughs> What did you do? Because I was a bit of a stirrer, apparently. Okay. And so my father told me to go and get a job that he wasn't going to pay any money to send me to any other school. So at 15, I got a job at Maya Melbourne for four years. And uh, what was, how was that for you? It was great. It was really good. I had got an interesting job. It was a bit like a store detective. All right. And people lost their charge plates. If somebody picked it up and bought a fur coat, then we had to decipher whether they were genuine clients or not. Right. So I did that for four years. That's quite a lot of responsibility for a young young girl. I still write to my then boss, Miss Pollock, Betty Pollock. She's 94. I still ring her up occasionally. She was really strict back then. Mm. But now we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> when I was about 27, I decided to go back to school. Mm. And I started, did a social science diploma. And then I thought I could do this. And then I went to uni and did a social work degree. So that was a bit as a result of being a migrant, mm-hmm. powerless, to switching to helping people to make a go of their lives in a bit more positive way. So I did that for 25 years. (laughs) 
I guess when you started school, you wouldn't have spoken, really spoken any English? No, didn't have any English at all. But within a year, I was spoke and understood English enough to act as an interpreter for my father, yeah. who had acquired a fake driving licence. Oh, right. So nowadays you'd have services and resources to help people make that transition, but back then there wasn't. Mm. And I think that the magistrate or judge or whatever he was took pity on me, <laughs> being a skinny little Italian girl that couldn't hardly speak any English. <laughs> So I think he got off. Oh. There might have been a fine, but yeah. So, so learning the languages is a very empowering. Mm. And were your parents eventually able to acquire enough language? I mean, I guess no. because, yeah, because it's a lot would be a lot more difficult for very difficult. adults. And it's not that they were dumb, because my mother spoke Italian, Maltese and Arabic fluently and my father would have done the same but when they came to Australia because of their age and probably because my mother she probably had an Italian priest to speak to, the butcher might have been Maltese so that she managed without knowing the language couldn't have been much fun for her but yeah Although you mentioned there were a lot of Italian kids there. I didn't, I didn't hang out with the Italians. I remember becoming really good at playing netball and that made me popular. Yeah. But initially nobody wanted to play with me or anything like that. Yeah. So what I used to do, there was a church on the grounds of St Mary's Catholic Primary School. On a Monday I used to go to church on my own and check under the pews to see if there was any money dropped from the the money bowl. Yeah. I don't know if you're a Catholic or not, but in the Catholic Church you pass the bowl around for charity purposes, presumably. Same in in Protestant churches, to be honest. (laughs) So I used to go and check out the money and then go to the tuck shop and get a whole pile of lollies and people used to... Hang around with me. (laughs) (laughs) It's not really dishonest because I wasn't stealing it. It was just on the ground where the old people had dropped money. When you, um, I guess, first came to Australia, what were some of the main differences that you might have noticed compared to what you were used to? Fashion. I remember saying to my sister... In Australia, there's old ladies with blue hair. (laughs) (laughs) And they're always saying she, gossiping. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that they said the word she a lot. (laughs) The houses, when we stayed at my auntie's place, she had a house. It was very humble, really, on a large block in Williamstown, Mm -hmm. near the water. Eventually it was sold for $3 million, mm. but it was when we lived there, it was just very humble. And a rose garden at the front and a vegetable garden at the back. So that was really different because in Libya we didn't have... I can show you a photo of me and mm. my sister on our backyard and there's not a tree inside. Mm. Or no, no flowers or anything. So that was a big thing and I thought it was magic. It was so... And I still try and evoke that feeling 
over how it, how it felt to be in a... But it was January, so it was sunny mm. and flowers and water. It was just fabulous. And... What, what did your parents do actually when they came to Australia? Did they were they did they work straight away? My father did because he had to have a job yeah. before they agreed to send us to Australia. So he used to fi- he was a mechanic and used to fix semi trailers for a petrol company all time. And he adapted quite well. He never drove in Australia. All oh, right. After he lost the fake license. And I think his vision wasn't all that good. My sister's husband, he looked after them in their old age. So what was different? You could say everything. (laughs) When you went to people's houses and ate a meal, it was different to the sort of food we ate. At school, I know some of the kids used to laugh at me for the content of my lunchbox. Yeah. So that was different. So what what kind of food food would have been more normal for you? Like a, what would have been what would you have eaten at home? Probably a salami sandwich mm-hmm. or roll, not sandwich. We didn't have sandwiches. But even when I was studying, the, the woman I used to sit next to, she she used to say, "Oh God, Pierre, you've been eating garlic again." And I was confident enough to say, "Yeah, I sure have." Yeah. But if that comment would have been made when I was at school, it probably would have had some in. There was something else that I, I felt really anxious about. Like people, I was, must have been sensitive to people laughing, staring at me, or imagining it. I don't know whether it was in my imagination or not. Yeah. <laughs> I hate schools. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been tough. So, yeah, the language, attire, what's acceptable or not acceptable. Mm hmm. But generally speaking, the people were kind. I had a friend who had a horse, and we'd go horse riding without saddles or anything, just off we'd go through the busy streets of Williamstown. (laughs) And what was the... I'm just curious about how people might have reacted to knowing where you're from. I guess people wouldn't have known much about Libya or even Malta. But even now... People are reluctant to ask me where I'm from. Okay. It's almost like they think I'm going to be insulted <laughs> for picking out that I'm different. And I think it's a shame. Yeah, well, that's funny. Because it's, assimi- it's good to assimilate, no, but I think it's best to integrate. Because if you integrate, you, you go with the flow. But if you assimilate too much, you lose parts of your own culture. Yeah. Like changing my name. What are the circumstances behind you coming to Tasmania? I met my husband in Perth, Western Australia, and he wanted to come and live in Tasmania. Yeah. Why Tasmania? Because it was beautiful and because the land was cheap. Mm Mm-hmm. And we could afford it. And so what what happened then? How did you find your first place, I guess? There was quite a community in, in Melbourne, but the transition was quite difficult. I think it was more difficult than coming to Australia as a child because, that, okay, yeah. because children are very adaptable. So we came to Tasmania and there was a, a group of alternative lifestylers in, living in Wilmot and they were very friendly and... 
included us in their parties and markets and all the rest of it. So that was, and that's when I started bushwalking. And so you you, you first settled in or in Wilmot. Yes, I lived yeah. there for ten years. I lived there for seven years with my husband and three kids. And then when he left, I stayed on until my son started high school. And it was too long for him to travel every day. So that's when I bought a house in Devonport. So perhaps because people like myself don't really know Wilmot, what, what kind of, can you just tell us a bit about what kind of place Wilmot is or, or was? It's scenically very charming, very pretty. It's got lakes and rivers and mountains. Uh, population about 500. And they were very welcoming, really. Some of the hippies used to stir them up, mm-hmm. like sunbathing in the nude oh, right. kind of thing, and I presume that they thought we were all the same, but we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and no, they, were, they were okay, actually. They, they weren't at all standoffish. Yeah, so it was a, uh, they were a little bit, they were used to sort of people with alternative lifestyles there rather yeah, than... Yeah, because there had been a, a group established already. I'd never smoked a joint before okay. in my life. And the nudity thing, I was a little bit conservative. Okay. I didn't feel comfortable with it. But apart from that, we, we did a lot of childminding for each other. Mm-hmm. And it was good. And it was not too far away from the water. I'm used to being very close to the water. I wasn't there. We lived one street away from the water. And here I, you can see it if you stand on the roof. <laughs> and um, it was easy. It was easy living even as a single parent because eventually we split up. Being in Devonport where the kids could walk to school, that sort of thing. Yeah. Would I have come to live in Tasmania if I didn't meet an English husband? Probably not, because I came here when I was 17 with one of Ian Meldrum's friends, shooting the cloud. And the boat, I started vomiting on the boat even before it left because of the motion and the smell of the diesel or something. We arrived in Devonport, we caught a bus to Launceston. It was raining mm-hmm. heavily. And then we had to go back to Melbourne just to work. I think, oh, it wasn't for me. Yeah, and I guess that, we, that would have been the old boat from Melbourne to Devonport back in those the days. The Princess or the Empress, one of those two. Yeah. I can't remember. I was too busy throwing up. <laughs> I had to fly back. And it rained and rained and rained. And the only thing to do in Launceston was to see a man called Halls. <laughs> okay. So your first experience in Tasmania wasn't very uh, positive. No. So how long then from then to when you came here? I was 29 when I came here. Yeah. And when I had that experience, I was still a, a junior at work. I would have been 17. Yeah. So ready to give it a second chance. When my husband found the place in Wilmot. And how did he how did he sell it to you? I guess I'm interested in uh... Oh poor bugger. <laughs> <laughs> he was so enthusiastic. He couldn't believe that he found this fifty acres with four brooks or whatever they were, streams. A view of Mount Roland. It changed colours. It was just beautiful. 
and he was so keen and we can build a house. We bought a house with the land, but it wasn't fantastic. He said, I can build a house. He's not a builder, but he's capable of mm-hmm. anything with his hands. And I said, don't bother about it. I'm not staying here. But I've stayed 11 years. Mm-hmm. And now the house is mostly empty and it still belongs to the to Steve and the kids. I'm thinking of going back there. So what made, what made you reluctant or a bit resistant to come here initially? I was quite happy living in Western Australia. I just had a baby and I used to cycle to the beach and I had lots of friends. I was involved with a post-institutional care for Aboriginal girls because I worked in a children's jail in, in Perth, Western Australia. Okay. So I was going to give all that up to pursue a life with my husband and a baby in cold Wilmot. And the house we had was not very comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty cold. I wasn't used to the snow. So that's what made me reluctant. That's pretty understandable, actually. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but but what what sort of changed to sort of help you help you um, maybe change your mind or or adjust to this new environment? Making friends with people my my age, I think that's a big one. Yeah, and there were a few nice people in Wilmot that I got on that I still good friends with, and then I studied, and so I made friends in the classroom and worked. You always meet people when you work. So I think that was a big one. Yeah. And now I can drive around and see mountains and I think I've done that. Walked along all throughout those mountains and I think I've grown to have an affinity mm-hmm. with the land. So in was it relatively easy to get to to make friends, to get to to get a social to develop a social life? Yeah, very easy. If there was a party or a market, concerts, we'd be invited. I would participate. So you've got to make a bit of an effort to get out. Yeah. And that's what it's about, is now I'm retired and I could easily slip into some sort of a depression because I don't have a passion and a purpose other than my grandchildren, but that's fine. To yeah. be the most important thing in my life, things. <laughs> people in my life so it's really important to be socially connected yeah whether it's voluntary work or whatever <laughs> <laughs>